things that Catholicism did to advance language, the sciences, beautiful architecture that we are constantly benefiting from to this day, educational practices, the trivium, getting people to think clearly. What contributions? Now, the question is, because we have benefited directly or indirectly from the existence of the Catholic Church, does that give the Pope and the Cardinals the right to cage people who don't chip in for the Catholic Church? Hi, and welcome to And If Love Remains. I am your host, Mike Lovett, and I am extremely thrilled to have on the line today, Mr. Keith Knight. Welcome to the show, Keith. Mike, thank you for having me. It's a a pleasure. Um, Keith, by the way, he runs a podcast. It's the uh, Keith Knight Don't Tread on Me podcast. Is that correct? Don't Tread on Anyone. Don't Tread on Anyone, which is even better. Yeah. Yes. The, the the problem with Don't Tread on Me is uh, Stalin and Mao believed in Don't Tread on Me while they happily treaded on millions of other innocent people. So it's taking that principle and applying it consistently. A lot of uh, what the uh, podcast is about, trying to get at the root truth and moral foundations of what makes actions and interactions and social uh, societies more or less just or unjustified. Hey, I appreciate that. Thank you for that clarification and and for that explanation. I think that's actually quite powerful. Um, And especially as we talk about some of the subjects that that we might be discussing today. Um, Quick question. What's the best way for people to find you and uh, get in touch with you if they like what they hear, if they want to learn more? I would go to odyssey.com and subscribe there. I am on YouTube. I'm also on Twitter at a-N underscore capitalist. Uh, that is a, a good place to check me for the meantime, but the two best alt media sites would be minds.com and odyssey.com. So I'm Keith Knight. Don't tread on anyone in uh, both places. Keith Knight. Don't tread on anyone. Sounds great. So, so Keith, I found you on, on library odyssey and, and, uh, I got a, um, I heard a few of your videos and I was very impressed because you, I mean, you got a great um, knowledge base. You seem like kind of a, a younger guy, but man, you you're kind of a you're a very intelligent. You know what you're talking about, and you're able to to argue a lot of the um, uh, a lot of these ideas, a lot of these these liberty minded ideas. And I'm curious, where how did you come about um, the the philosophy that you have? Like, like take me back to 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 you know how you became a liberty-minded individual. It really is something that just snowballed. I would go to Sedona, Arizona, when I was uh, really young to visit my grandparents. And when you're 12, you can't appreciate the beauty of Sedona or the hiking or the mountains or anything. So uh, they would just sort of sit around and talk politics. And eventually, I sort of got interested. I'm, I really wish I could go back and, and think of, you know, what first jogged my sort of uh, my interest in whatever they were talking about. But uh, long story short, my uh, family was uh, supporting Barack Obama, both on my father and mother's side. And mainly uh, we saw government as a tool or a neutral mechanism for people to work through to achieve their ends in society. We also had sort of what you could call a um, mystical approach to the state. So whereas you and I, or private companies, um, they they have people who uh, might engage in greed and self-interest, and there's costs and benefits in the private sector, but government is for the people. So uh, this is a totally different uh, kind of thing we're, uh, we're operating under. So to be against government having uh providing health care that would make you against health care because right. there's no cost there's no downside to it and it's for the greater good that's what government is it's not some evil private people seeking their own self-interest so when you see government like that you have started with a terrible foundation so in this <clears throat> Uh, in that worldview, it's so difficult to see how how can you really oppose 
what we're saying. We just want people to have health care and housing and food and water and clothing and shelter and all, all this great stuff. Why can't we just pass this freaking law that just helps people? And so you have to sort of create an idea of who you're up against in your mind. And the only logical explanation was some people are just too dumb, primitive, and unappreciative of our kind, progressive ways. And other people are just sort of bought off by the corporations who want to get rich at the expense of others. I had not been introduced to the idea of harmonious, uh, positive-sum economic interactions where people trade voluntarily because they both benefit from what the other party has. So I always saw trade as, well, someone's got to be losing. There has to be an exploiter, and it's my job to find it and then pass laws against this exploiter. So there was that, and we had basically tried rationalizing how could you know people be against this? And we're like, well, it's these people like Glenn Beck and Sean Hannity. They basically uh, j- just use uh, some sort of racist and corporate policy tactics in order to villainize us. And if people really had, you know, an understanding of things, then they would see things our way. So, mm. just out of curiosity, I went to watch Glenn Beck's show, thinking that he's just this guy who. I'm like, oh, I can't wait to watch. It's going to be just so weird. A guy who just screams about how terrible blacks are and how poor right. people deserve it and how and he's just going to laugh at the impoverished and how everyone just needs to work hard. And so, so, so there I am going into the show expecting to see this villain, this evil guy in action, and that wasn't it at all. It was extremely uh, calm, collected, and of course the hyperbolic moments. Well, those are the cuts that made that, that made it on the internet back then when it was like you know MySpace or Yahoo News or AOL. Yeah. Uh, th- that's where things would get passed around, and only you know the uh, most flamboyant moments of his, where you know he screams because he gets worked up about something. But if that's at the end of the show and you've watched him for 30 minutes get worked up more and more, that doesn't surprise you like it would just randomly coming across a right. uh, a video like that. So Glenn Beck introduced me to the concept that the Affordable Care Act, a lot of costs, a lot of benefits, uh, well, uh, there's actually a fundamental approach you can take to where you can oppose the Affordable Care Act. And I'm like, oh, this I, I got to hear this. I mean, there's something wrong with giving people health care. Wow, th- this this should really be good. Right, and here he it me- is. <laughs> and, uh, and he mentioned that, oh, gosh, I really wish I had, you know, at the time written d- down his exact phrasing that, uh, that, that intrigued me. But he had said there isn't an opt-out option. So in other words, you have to buy this thing whether you want to or not. This is called, it was referred to as the uh, individual mandate. Right. So I was confronted with the idea that, well, I, I think people should do A, B, or C. Um, but then again, I my life isn't exactly perfect, so there's a lot of things I should do. The question is, should people be forced? And by forced, I'm referring to threat of imprisonment and death if refusing that imprisonment is it that much of an obligation that they have to purchase health insurance well what if they don't want to well it's for uh, in the long run it'll benefit them maybe maybe not you're not a psychic right. you don't even know who they're buying health insurance from you don't know their um that you don't know their uh, health history you don't know their financial situation so shut up but you know yeah. what you Become a health insurance agent and go around offering people uh, uh, health insurance at a great price and tell them uh, what a great deal it is. But don't be forcing them with the threat of caging them if they don't obey. Mm-hmm. I took that principle, and it took me about five years, unfortunately, to take that and apply it consistently to Social Security, Medicare, Medicaid, government schools, uh, government, military all of these things are ends you would want. So, for example, I would want people's uh, body and justly acquired property protected from aggressors, people initiating fraud, people initiating violence. Um, however, that does not mean I want a monop- a coercively funded monopoly to achieve that end 
called private property and a safe life. We can have either coercively funded monopoly, the state, or voluntarily funded competition in our attempt to achieve this end, whether it's defense, healthcare, food, uh, clothing, housing, printers, computers, friendships, employment opportunities. There's the violent way and the voluntary way. The voluntary way is the way of the market. The violent way is more often than not the means of the state, but it, it, your your neighbor can also uh, oppress you by initiating violence. So it's not that the state is the only aggressor. The main problem is people have this double standard where while they would recognize it as bad for uh, me and you to get together and force people to fund things. If we vote for Doug Ducey to do it on our behalf, well, right. all of a sudden it becomes it, – it has a new name called public policy. But uh, if you uh, understand philosophy, that changing the name of a concept doesn't change the concept any more than me changing my name to Leonardo DiCaprio makes me a better actor. It's just not getting to the root of the issue. So, so that what, is what, uh, how I got here. What what would you say to somebody and and uh, and I want to kind of go delve more into into your history and some of the, some of your influences, but I'm I'm curious just um, as we're talking here, what would you say to somebody who would who would um, maybe push back a little bit as far as saying, well, what about you know we we live in a certain area we 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 live under you know. Uh, under maybe a, a social contract, say, or or we've we we implied, in, uh, you know, by by living in a certain area, we've we you know similar maybe in, similar to an HOA on a grander sta- scale. We you know decided to live here, or or we're here by birth, doesn't matter. And so there's certain rules, and and some of those rules imply that that we're going to take care of our neighbors, um, and we're going to do that by um, you know, by a public means as opposed to, you know, charity or, or other private means. What, what would what would be your, your argument to that? Well, uh, this is uh, one of the many things I agree on with my uh, opponents here or people who uh, may not see eye to eye with me on this. So no, what you more or less said is that uh, positive externalities exist. The actions of other human beings allow us to reap benefits from those. Uh, and you also said we have sort of a social contract and obligation towards others and uh, increasing their well-being and overall utility as well as ours. I think both of those are uh, a- absolutely correct. Uh, the uh, non sequitur or uh, what does not follow from these two correct premises is the idea that this one group called government therefore gets a monopoly on initiating aggression to achieve these ends of making sure people chip in for things. I mean, if you read a um, a guy who graduated from Columbia with a PhD, Thomas E. Woods Jr., wrote an excellent book called How the Catholic Church Built Western Civilization. And you can look at all the things that Catholicism did to advance language, the sciences, beautiful architecture that we are constantly benefiting from to this day, educational practices, the trivium, getting people to think clearly, what contributions? Now, the question is, because we have benefited directly or indirectly from the existence of the Catholic Church, does that give the Pope and the Cardinals the right to cage people who don't chip in for the Catholic Church? The answer is no. And uh, this is because just because you uh, provide uh, benefits for other people— Amazon, Walmart, all, all the businesses in my area have actually uh, improved my well-being because they've created job opportunities. They've increased the value of my house. They've uh, made my drive to work a heck of a lot more beautiful over the years. They still don't have the right to take money by force with the threat of caging peaceful people, and, and and that is what taxation is. So so we're not talking about chipping in such as you would uh, for a charity or for a GoFundMe where people can opt out. So there's this moral foundation of it's not that I'm against uh, what, uh, what you're saying here, people having an obligation to help others. What I'm against is not allowing people to opt out of things they don't uh, find productive. So um, if you see, or let's take it from this angle, there's also an economic uh, advantage to this, where when people know they're getting money, whether they do a good job or not, 
they tend to not produce products or services that other people would desire. So instead of, I know I can't get a second out of Mike's time unless I voluntarily get it from him, well, then I'm going to try to increase the amount of value I provide for Mike and his audience. If I know I can't get a dime out of my customer's pocket unless they voluntarily give it to me, I'm going to try and provide products and services and maybe negotiate and create a better uh, a better deal for the right. people that, that that I'm working with. So there's not only a moral, there's also an economic utility to all this. You actually change the character of an entire nation when you get them from thinking uh, through a market lens, win-win situations, how do I give value to get value, versus the coercive ends of, God, I can't wait to pass this law and screw over my neighbor because he's screwing me. I don't want to pay for that stupid military, but he is going to have to pay for this educational facility. Well, right. look, educational facilities might do something uh, but terrific, but I still believe people have the right to uh, be able to opt out. That is why I oppose the state or uh, taxation at all. The, probably the best indicator that taxation is not uh, a legitimate form of uh, acquiring money is because not an, a, anyone c can do it. If it was really morally justified, anyone would just be able to issue taxes. And if government gets their rights from us, the people, and we don't have the right to issue taxes, well, then government doesn't have that right either. So well, I think uh, that's, that's a big, uh, um, like a, a real, like philosophical edge. Like you have to think about, like just because, our, what are things that we, um, can empower people to do that that we would not have the right to do ourselves, whatever that might be. I mean, like that, that 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 could run police powers. That could mean wars. I mean, there's a ton of things that we can think about, and maybe there are. I don't know, but but you know, are there are there things that the collective can can decide? Oh, we're going to allow a an agency of us to do that that we ourselves um, it would be illegal or, or immoral for us to do otherwise. Yeah, and I put a lot of thought into this, and I generally don't think so. That There are um, you know, certain situations where, uh, all right, uh, someone is in a terrible accident, and they're a, you know, a quadriplegic who is brain dead. Um, does someone have the right to uh, you know, step in as a guardian on their behalf, assuming that person does not have the ability to give consent. Well, if uh, that person does not have the ability to own that own that person justly, how can they acquire the ability to be their guardian if other people can't be their guardian? And it's like, well, they have different mental capacities, and and it's a very very complex topic. The main thing is that in these sort of lifeboat scenarios in this. Is it possible at any point for someone to acquire a right they otherwise wouldn't have? Uh, the main reason this still does not justify a state is you would still have to say that this group called government has the right to assume rights on behalf of the collective that no other organization has. Uh, imagine, right, and they can assume it upon you know, themselves just by themselves voting it in or or putting it into you know some bureaucracy or or doing something that that you know um, that that gives us uh, little or no means of consent. It, exactly. Uh, the the opting out mechanism of the, the the state is not only extremely high uh, economically; it's it's just totally unjustified. If I was demanding payment from you and said, you know what, I'll, well, I'll stop demanding payment, but you have to move. Well, if it's a house that you're living in that you have justly acquired, and I was never part of the arrangement, we didn't have an, a deal or a contract or anything, you'd abide by these laws. Well, in a sense, I'm just claiming ownership over you and your body and your property and your time and your life. So it's quite literally one person trying to dominate, rule, virtually enslave the other person by claiming total ownership over them. So the fact that I'm part of a group doesn't really doesn't really change the morality. It, like if it's wrong for government to do it, uh, then it's wrong for uh, Amazon to do it. Or I probably yeah. said that. I probably should have said that the, the, the other way. So if you say, well, we need government because – 
well, sometimes, you know, you just have to get things done and there's, you know, uh, it's hard to get people together all on one page. So you have to do things without, uh, you know, getting uh, wide consensus. Well, then if that's an actual principle, then we don't need it to just apply to government. It would apply to the Koch brothers and Amazon and Russia has the right to come and take over America so long as they make sure to increase GDP and stabilize the uh, sound currency and enact the policies that the Federal Reserve finds desirable. Yeah, I, think that- I, I mean, that, that's totally that is blatantly unjustified. One group trying to violently dominate another. But when it comes to government, they don't have uh, the, these uh, the, these principles. I think that I think that's a big deal, like thinking about, you know, um, the ends justifying the means like like I'm going to make you better. I'm going to force you to be better, whether you like it or not. And you're going to, you know, you're going to like it. There's a real part. In fact, I was thinking about, um, as you were talking, um, a movie and I wish I could remember the, the name of it. Now it's got, uh, oh my gosh, it's got Will, what's his bucket, the comedian redhead. What's his name? Ah, Bill no, Will. Um, anyway, it, he plays a tax man. He plays an IRS agent, and he's he's auditing this woman. And it's a kind of a it's a kind of a love story type thing. But but the point is, the, when they first meet, it's hilarious because he meets her, and he's like, "Hey, you know, I'm, we need to audit your taxes." And she's you you know you paid X, you know percent. And she said, yeah, I wrote a letter about why I did that. You know, I didn't want this money going to the, um, to the, the military to fight your, you know, wars. And I didn't want this to go here. And I wanted this to go here. If you notice, I paid this and it's hilarious. Cause you know, that's such a, um, you know, the, the, it's just funny that, that, that people don't even think of like, oh, wow. You know, should we be paying? Should should the the U.S. government be doing things um, in our name? Because that's really what's happening. You know, when 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 they drop bombs and and whatever world that you know whatever part of the world that that they drop bombs in or or impose power wherever they impose power on, they're really you know doing that in our name. And and the question is, did we did we <laughs> If my attorney did something in my name that I didn't want to be done, do I have the right to fire that attorney? <laughs> yeah, the, the, that's uh, that, that's one of uh, the the great uh, shortcomings. They'll say, "Well, um, by you, uh, you know, sort of living here and being in this society, you sort of consent indirectly." So uh, they're assuming that indirect consent trumps explicit lack of consent. So it's like, oh well. You know, uh, this this uh, woman was so nice to me. I thought uh, I could come over to her house and hang out for a little. So, I mean, she implied it. Therefore, I get to stay here indefinitely, even when she explicitly says, please get out. I don't want you here. Right. Because, you know, overall, she benefits from my great show, Keith Knight, Don't Tread on Anyone. She lives in this society, and if she doesn't like it, she can move. Well, uh, <laughs> you're totally missing the part that if what's justified it, or if what makes it justified is her implied consent, well, it's actually trumped by an explicit uh, lack of consent, or right. I'm, I'm not sure what you would call it, explicit disapproval right. of, uh, of how people would like to use their body, their time, or their justly acquired uh, property. Uh, so yeah, the, the the idea of you know sort of hypothetical consent, the the the, the whole thing is like, all oh, right, a guy's unconscious and you know you want to take him to the hospital, uh, and you can't get his consent. Is it okay to take him to the hospital without his consent? Well, the explicit difference there is he does not have the ability to communicate that he right. wants or does not want. So yeah, you're ta- you're taking a risk in that uh, special uh, scenario. With government and, you know, people uh, chipping in to, you know, this government that they must love and must represent them, uh, a better way is just allowing them to opt out. And if they explicitly say, I don't want to go to the hospital, well, then uh, you don't have the right to take them at some point. And if they say, I explicitly do not want to fund Operation Timber Sycamore to side with Jabhat al-Nusra in Syria against Assad, well, (laughs) then, you know, I think it's time to let people not fund al-Qaeda. That's that's probably the right thing to do. 
You know, again, we're talking to Keith Knight, um, host of the Don't Tread on Anyone podcast. Where where did you get? Um, talk to me about some of your influences, some of the, the books you read. Like, what? How did you? Um, yeah, what, what were some of your biggest influences in, in coming to your philosophy or coming to these ideas? Uh, originally, it was a book called The Revolution by Ron Paul. The sad part is I don't remember what this book is about at all, but I remember <laughs> think, but, but I remember it was like uh, I just wanted to learn about the American Revolution because I was a conservative at the time. And I thought that's what that book was about, but I I, I was mistaken. <laughs> it was actually an introduction into uh, classical liberalism, uh, the libertarian uh, philosophy. And uh, I was so blown away that there was a totally another way of looking at things that I was so humbled that I was just like, wow, I, I got to find out more where, where this came from. It was also a moment... I, I'm not sure if it was a moment or if it was just the general trend of uh, of foreign policy disagreements between conservatives and the libertarians. It was like, oh, these libertarians are so good, but they're more or less uh, dumb cowards when it comes to foreign policy. And it uh, appears that I had arrived at this opinion much uh, in a rather irrational way. So I had seen uh, two groups. Uh, one called the Al-Qaeda group, the other called the America group. Uh, like America very much, uh, not a big fan of Al-Qaeda, therefore we're the good guys, they're the bad guys, and there's not much gray area here. Well, uh, the reality of the situation is much more complex. Uh, the work right. of Robert Pape, a uh, professor, I, don't, I think he's at the University of Chicago. I know they publish his books. He published two books. Uh, one is called Dying to Win. The other is called Cutting the Fuse. And what they do is they list every terrorist incident from 1980 to 2010 around. And uh, there's actually a, a strong correlation between uh, you know uh, suicide bombings, uh, the strategic logic of suicide terrorism is what he calls it, and countries that are being occupied by a foreign power. So, uh, this gets back to the fact that there's not really a principal difference between Putin trying to rule me and Joe Biden trying to. Set that mm -hmm. aside. Look at how the left responded when uh, Putin and Trump were very friendly, or when, uh, well, it didn't happen as much when Kim Jong-un and Trump spoke. But uh, the, the, there was almost half the population of America was quite literally terrified Donald Trump had a secret allegiance to Russia, foreign power, right. not in our interest. Our group collective is being you know, subverted in a treasonous way. This is horrible. He's defending Putin, a killer, a former KGB agent. Well, imagine if he not only uh, Putin set up the elections in America— and Trump won, and Putin had uh, station uh, had stationed troops all throughout the lower forty eight. Uh, can you imagine that th they were almost suicidal as it is <laughs> the, the, those four <laughs> right. years uh, that with uh, the the uh, the the uh, uh, ever since that you know that the famous scream at Trump's yeah. inauguration, it was like that for four years. So yes, absolutely, some of them would have. Uh, engaged in suicide missions if that was the only means they had in order to find meaning in their life or to feel like they were uh, fighting against this great, terrible, evil. People join the military very often with uh, the idea that there's a very real chance that they'll die fighting this uh, this terrible enemy, kamikaze pilots, a uh, mm -hmm. classic uh, example of this. So, uh, the empirical data actually showed that uh, terrorism is not the result of Muslim hating uh, Christians' freedoms. It was actually the result of, uh, one, the uh, U.S. occupying the land of the uh, two holy cities, Mecca and Medina, in Saudi Arabia, uh, with the uh, cooperation of the Saudi government, along with atrocities committed by Israel, which uh, is uh, America's ally in the Middle East, in Lebanon, going back to uh, 1982, and as late as 1996 with Operation Grapes of Wrath, where they uh, engaged in uh, the Kana massacre. There was yeah, also and, uh, the the crimes Scott against Hor the, Scott Horton yeah. really, you know, identifies a lot of those in his in his books and and what he does, and and it's uh, like that's an eye opening thing to to learn about some of the things that that 
you know, we've been that when I say we that the American government has been doing um, for decades. Of course, yeah, and uh, and even before nine eleven, there were uh, th- there was a blockade of Iraq. So just imagine China says America can't trade with any other nations until they overthrow Joe Biden. Well, I mean, it, it, you know, as bad as you know, you might think Biden or Trump or anyone else is. If you see another country stopping you from trading with another country, with a third party, let's say, even though you want to make trades with them. Well, I mean, and it was to the point where you're already not, you know, a totally first world country. Uh, this mm-hmm. is leading to a lot of starvation. Your country's getting bombed a couple times a week under the Bill Clinton years that, you know, so, so few people know about. Well, this actually created what the CIA referred to as blowback, which are the, quote, unintended. I wonder if they are sometimes, but let's just say they are the unintended consequences uh, that uh, civilians will often have to pay the price for what uh, what, what politicians engage in along with uh, the, the military. There's another aspect that it's secret foreign policy, so it's not explicit. There's a war where we're exchanging bombs. It's the fact that it sort of catches you off guard that makes the blowback unique. Mm. Um, so, yeah, just as, uh, you know, people were outraged uh, whenever anyone, you know, does anything to quote us, America, well, it turns out that uh, the Muslims and people in Iraq and Lebanon and Palestine, uh, it turns out that uh, that they also have uh, the same feeling against uh, the, the U.S. government. I, I go on that long rant just to say that was the main thing that Ron Paul introduced me to that brought me from a conservative to a libertarian. It was one. It was right. one of the biggest stretches. So that's why it took uh, so much information, so much of uh, reading the you know words of Al Qaeda, reading uh, Robert Pape's work, along with uh, Scott Horton, of course, my colleague at the Libertarian Institute. So Ron Paul, number one. I'll try to keep these a little shorter. I'm, yeah, I'm no, sure. that's okay. <laughs> okay. Um, <laughs> from uh, Ron Paul, I was I got introduced to. Gosh, I, I really should make a timeline and really sit down. But uh, I was introduced to the work of Larkin Rose and uh, his book, The Most Dangerous Superstition, yeah. where he just says that there is um, – hmm, I'm trying to think of the best way his thesis would be put, that there's something called political authority. So this is to be distinguished from uh, Joe is an authority on the history of the Roman Empire. Uh, what he's talking about in uh, in regards to political authority is some people having the right to rule or initiate aggression against others. So if I have the right to initiate violence against you, that means I have a better claim to your body than you do, which makes me a ruler, as opposed to someone who, you know, you and I have engaged in a contract or, you know, some voluntary exchange so that's what he says makes government unique, and he says that there is no justification for this, and this is what makes government unique. Therefore, a system called anarchism or voluntarism is the only morally justified philosophy. And I think he pretty much does as as good a job as you can do with uh, d- defending such a uh, a difficult thesis. His main thing. Is well, it's that, so counterintuitive yeah. to, to anything we've been, you know, taught or you know have experienced in our lives. Definitely. Uh, it, so his <clears throat> his whole thing is that if I don't have, as we discussed earlier, if government gets its rights from me, and I don't have the right to tax or the right to go around regulating people or the right to conscript people, if I don't have the right to start wars. How can I delegate that right to my congressman? He mm-hmm. just spends 200 pages uh, discussing the implications of that. And it more or less, just as a scientific theory, you'd want to make sure is consistent by using experiments in the real world. He uses uh, examples of taxation, gun confiscation, um, drugs, uh, d- drug use. Uh, he takes this principle and applies it consistently and shows you that it is uh, the justified position to hold in all these aspects of our life. So the the superstition that he's referring to in The Most Dangerous Superstition is the unjustified belief that some people called Congress or government or men or whites or old people, any arbitrary group, 
having the right to rule others is completely unjustified and akin to a superstition. So uh, that was that. That was a uh, well. I think the, another the, one. one of the there's. I mean, there's lots of forms of that, but but one of the forms of that, that I think a lot of people don't think about that I think about a lot is like, for example, qualified immunity. I mean, that is, that is clearly saying that um, uh, the, the government has immunity over bad things that it admits that it will do and that it does on a regular basis, but you'd have no chance of recourse on, and that just doesn't exist in any other part of our life. Exactly. Yeah. The, the, sometimes the double standards are, are just so, Blatant that it's uh, that it's hard to uh, hard to ignore. Uh, Another uh, guy was Adam Kokesh. So Adam would do this thing where he would do man on the street interviews. Yes. And he would uh, sort of ask people a question and use what could be regarded as nonviolent communication slash Socratic method. You would take what people said and apply it consistently in another realm. So just as if I said um, the, the sun rises in the east and sets on the west, well, w- what you would do is instead of just looking at the sun on Friday, you'd also look on Saturday, Sunday. You'd ask other people in different time zones if they see the same thing. That's how you would test out this theory. So his way of testing out the theories that people put forward of, well, you know, it's okay because, uh, you know, taxes pay for education and roads. He'd, he'd just calmly sit there and shake his head, and he'd say, so um, uh, I have the right to forcibly take money from people and put them in a cage if they resist, so long as I put a portion of that money to roads and education? And, and, and he would sort of get, give them one of those. So he would take their own principles and apply it uh, consistently, or he'd ask open-ended questions. I mean, Jill, is her name Jill Stein, the Green Party? Yes, Jill Stein. Uh, yeah, so he uh, he would ask her, you know, she's railing against uh, economic inequality um, and, you know, doesn't even mention the Federal Reserve, the organization that was granted a monopoly on printing the currency, determining its value and the interest rate, so the long-term value of money as well. So almost like on uh, on its face, you're a complete fraud if you're against inequality and you don't have a you know, big theory about uh, the Federal Reserve and ha- and uh, ha- how it operates. So he was able to take her apart in like just one minute. He goes, what is the uh, cause of inequality? And she said, well, th- there was the Powell memo. What we need to do is we need to get together. We, the people, need to vote uh, taxes in the 1960s. We're at this level. We should just go back to that. He goes, yeah. What do you think is the cause of inequality? And he would just hit this same question. And then she would get annoyed that he's asking the same question, even though she's not answering it. Right. The point, the point there was just to show that people so often, this is, you know, there's uh, like four uh, parties in America. Well, I'm sure there's a lot more, but the ones you know of are Democrat, Republican, Libertarian, Green. And right. the head of the Green Party didn't have an explanation as to why this exists, yet she's going to fix it. So once you sort of demystify the legitimacy of these people in power and see that they're much more paper tigers than anything else who can't answer straight questions, that was that that sort of just demystified them uh, th- them in my mind. That th- this guy who well, I've ran yeah. into at Ernie Hancock's house, this guy <laughs> who uh, you know uh, I see dancing at the Jefferson Memorial, getting arrested, he's just refuting you know the head of a political party. I wonder if we could do that with some Democrats or Republicans. And right. it, it turns out it's almost just as easy. And it, yeah. in some cases, it's more easy because their their guard is so much uh, lower. Uh, yeah. Green Party, you, you constantly have to fight and prove a point. And you only have one minute of airtime, whereas, you know, the Democrats and Republicans get hours of airtime. So th- they're not exactly on their toes. So that was good. Well, Another thing. And I think, did. I think it's always yeah. just it, it's about acquiring power like no matter it's a it's a it's a carpenter who sees a a nail in every problem you know see needs a hammer for every problem it's it's you know every problem demands me acquiring more power over you in order to solve the problem that may or may not exist but i'm going to say is and i'm going to emphasize that problem until i acquire the power that needs and it's at some point you know when do we say 
uh, to quote <laughs> to quote a book in a different topic. Enough already. <laughs> I know. Uh, I know that like the the most evil, inconsiderate carpenters ever. It, it, it's like Dwight Schrute breaking into Jim and Pam's house and destroys their kitchen because he uh, he's actually you know fixing up the cupboards and everything. Right. It's like uh, okay, you guys are so bad. Uh, it, it, the quality, too, of what they provide is just nonsense. I mean, 12 years of government school is so bad, it's just assumed you have to go to college. You have to go to college. I mean, all you did was study for 12 years. You basically know nothing. Well, shouldn't and, I and get a little more bang for my buck? And if you talk to honest college professors, the most of the time they're spending the freshman and sophomore you're doing is remedial work. It's like fixing what they un, the unlearning what they learned in high school. <laughs> I, it, it, it's it's te- re, you know okay. So now you're a freshman in college. It's time to learn how to write. It for a lot of for a lot of places that's how it is. And um, anyway, that's a whole other <laughs> yeah. subject. Anyway, so um, so Adam, um, I apologize. What was his name? Adam- yeah, no, uh, Adam Kokesha actually Kokesha. was uh, okay. was in uh, Ira- uh, He was in uh, Fallujah during the okay. uh, Iraq invasion. God, what year was? Uh, I forget when the you know Fallujah incident was, but it gives him a lot of credibility. Uh, yeah. in, uh, in this area. So another thing he would do is sort of expose that the state is violence. And that's what it actually is rather than, you know, people coming together to achieve their ends. Cause that's what a supermarket is, or that's what you and I are doing now, or that's what, uh, I did the other day at uh, home Depot. So people come together all the time. That's not what the state is. And what he would do is he would be engaged in an activity, some sort of civil disobedience, knowing mm-hmm. he would get arrested. And it's not that he would resist by, like, punching or shooting. He would literally just stand there. So the idea that state that the state isn't an organization initiating violence against peaceful people, you have to just watch it actually happen in front of your eyes and realize none of the rules that the state gives themselves we're broken. This is exactly what they explicitly say will happen if you. So, so the example that uh, he does is he uh, smokes marijuana, and mm-hmm. you know a bunch of people, a bunch of people are trying to block the cops, and all you really see are some people in costumes kidnapping a totally peaceful person. And that's right. all that's happening in that situation. Or when they, uh, you know, uh, broke into his house and uh, threw, you know, well, one of the um, smoke grenades or whatever. That was as a causal result of him loading a shotgun on Freedom Plaza, exercising his Second Amendment right, which, you know, what we're always hearing about um, – uh, the Constitution and your right to, you have a right to vote <laughs> and anyone who says you need as much of as a license as a right to vote is denying you as a human being any dignity uh, by right. the way the Second Amendment doesn't exist uh, or uh, uh, <laughs> there's a lot of gray yeah. areas well what about the right to vote uh, so yeah. w- w- when you see something like that you, at some point you can't explain that this group called the state government is anything other than some people trying to violently dominate others to which people will automatically try to fabricate justifications because of what is called status quo bias. Something in their head saying, there's no way I live in a society and Mm. I know about this government and I haven't seen this before. So I know it's wrong. I just don't know why it's wrong. Well, more or less, it's not that, uh, you know, you're a bad person. It's just that, you know, there's a, a group of magicians who have played this trick and sort of kept it a secret how they keep the trick going. So, yeah. but we've uh, unfortunately fallen for it on a uh, on a large scale. But seeing, you know, a totally it's quite peaceful a superstition, person, if you will. <laughs> yeah, really. <laughs> uh, but seeing a totally peaceful person get caged for something, and then That's... even seeing you know people say, "Yeah, I think marijuana should be illegal," um, and Kokesh looking at them and saying. Um, all right, well, you, like a guy who just thanked Kokesh for his service it, it is in the next minute telling Kokesh he should be jailed and shot if he resists if he uses marijuana to deal with his post-traumatic stress disorder. Yeah. It, it's like it, at some point you're just trying to defend something without having any foundational justification, and you can uh, 
all you can do is just uh, apply the same principles you have towards any other organization to this uh, group called uh, the state. I I will say, like, one of the great hopes of our generation, and it's interesting because I, I don't smoke pot. I never have. Um, I know plenty of people that do. You know, don't judge at all. Um, but it's one of those things that I have I have come around to in my philosophy. Um, as far as like you know, <laughs> let live and let live, um, I guess. But the 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 biggest thing is is um, as a principle, and I like to think about things in terms of principles. As a principle, the great hope of our society is the marijuana nullification that just about that many states are implying and proving that you know what these if we if we can if we can apply this to marijuana if we can say sorry feds i know you've got these little you know writings on some book that says it's illegal and that we shouldn't be using this stuff but we're just gonna forget it we're not gonna allow you to arrest people we're going to we're going to legalize the use of it here in our state um go fly a kite and and you know if we can apply those to other things as well you know and i could think of a you know i think i think uh um 10th amendment center does a great job of of exposing some of those those things but you know uh it's it's quite a um you know i think that's a great hope if if people can just think outside the box of just the 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 drug war which is a huge thing but if you just think outside the box of wow this could apply imply other liberties that are being neglected oh yeah yeah definitely it's um it's really hard to uh take you know uh, something you value and apply it to other people when values are so wildly subjective so there are people who will say you know with every you know well intention in their body will say my body my choice it, and or or a different example would be gays have the right to get married two people consenting adults it's not like one has brain damage or you know uh, th- there's no argument these two people have a right to do whatever they want it's their life it's their bodies no one should interfere but when you just take that and apply it to the business realm they all of a sudden believe there should be 20,000 regulations stopping right. two people from making a commercial transaction. And yep. there is no principal difference. Well, no difference. Uh, one might engage in exploitation. All right. Well, gays might give each other AIDS. How, how, yep. How's that? How's that for risk? Yeah, exploitation might occur. If it does, well, different conversation. Or maybe the best thing to do is just to provide alternatives for people but the idea that we get to violently control everyone because some people might do some bad things is completely is completely unjustified which of Um, course has to take us to you know our day right now we're recording this during the uh, you know i don't i i think it's the end of the pandemic i don't know but we're you know this this covid thing which has been an on i call 2020 2021 the years of of um uh eye opening of 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 like this has been the years where where is everything has been exposed um as far as in um irrational beliefs in the government being able to stop a disease irrational beliefs that that you can um, you can you can give somebody the authority to lock people like in 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 jail basically. I mean, you're you're basically in at home jail time for for a year. Like, how is that possible? And and it it shocks me that that it isn't open. And I think a lot of people are opening up to to seeing what has happened over the last you know eighteen months or so. Yeah, it's uh. It, it- it's a lot different, uh, you know, being born into something and it just being all around you and seeing it as unjust. So, you know, it, it's sort of hard to realize that, you know, taxation is theft and regulation is just one group uh, trying to coercively control another. But when out of nowhere you need the governor's permission to go to work or open up your business totally arbitrarily with right. uh, a time that is so un defined you know it's been more than a year and we still and jim jordan still can't get an answer out of tony fauci 
of mm -hmm. the when like is there a date <laughs> or is there a number of infections is there a right. percentage increase when is it going to be totally open and uh, and everything else and Fauci just says uh the variant uh therefore uh, I just wrote myself another blank check cuz I just called yep. variant uh, whenever, uh, whenever COVID, whenever <laughs> COVID, like yeah. infinity, infinity beyond. You know, it's like the, we have the variant <laughs> to infinity and beyond. Uh, what happens when they? What happens when the variant isn't a problem? Oh God! What, <gasps> the other variant is <laughs> right. what we'll call it. Oh my right. God! United Nations, please step in, control everything. There's another variant. Right. Oh yeah. Right. Look, um, if you want. Uh, also, uh, it's important to think of uh, things on a uh, uh, on just sort of an economic system type of approach. So, if we say there is greed in any society, there are viruses in any society, there are liars and murderers in any society. What sort of society would you want to live in if you wanted to get rid of the thieves, the murderers, and the viruses? Well, I think you would certainly want one in which there is open entry. So people can compete and have the most amount of innovative ideas and people have the ability to opt out of funding unproductive, uh, irrational, unjustified or bad actors in certain fields. So even if, you know, uh, the non-aggression principle or self-ownership principle doesn't motivate you like it does myself, just think of what kind of economic approach would you want uh, towards solving these solutions, one in which people can opt out of funding bad actors and freely innovate without the permission of a monopoly, uh, because we see monopolies as bad in every other sector, except when it comes to government uh, issuing regulations and monopolizing mm -hmm. the currency. Uh, so right. e even on that scale, you would want the most amount of innovation. So you could have things in other areas. Let's say, you know, there was some black death where everyone has to stay home. Well, Make sure there's a free market where a lot of people have computers, so staying home is easier. In 1700, 1800, 1900, 1950, not everyone could have just stayed home like oh, no. yeah. like they did now. And probably everyone shouldn't have stayed home uh, like they did. But you get you get the larger point. Right. If bad thing exists, you would want a free society to come up with the most amount of ways bad thing can be done away with. We're talking to Keith Knight. He is the host of um, Don't Tread on Anyone podcast. And I want to talk about that for a second. Again, I, I like principles. And, and you mentioned the non-aggression principle. Um, just for my audience, what is that? And, and what are some of the implications? Of, we've been, basically been kind of talking about it the whole time. But let, let's kind of narrow it down and, and, and put that into, into focus. What is the non-aggression pr principle? And, um, and how... Um, yeah, how, how, how does that work in our lives? So the non-aggression principle attempts to differentiate justified from unjustified behavior. So if we have, uh, two very similar actions, we have, uh, a person performing work, let's just call it one action. And in two different scenarios, that person is being forced to do this work without, their consent and another person uh, will whip them or put them in jail or imprison them uh, if they don't perform the work. Well, we would uh, refer to that as enslavement, one person owning another person's body and using them as a means to an end. And another uh, person, we have someone uh, simply doing yard work or simply uh, having his own landscaping organization, trading with people, and making these types of exchanges. In both situations, you have uh, a person performing labor. Maybe the labor is very difficult, but it turns out there is a principled difference between these, and that principled difference, even though they're working in both cases, is in one scenario, the individual consents to the work, and the other, the person does not consent. So when developing a philosophy of freedom, we want to uh, sort of find out what a consistent approach would be. So if I say people should be free, the immediate follow-up could be, well, freedom to rape, freedom to steal, freedom to murder. Well, no, and the reason it's no is because that would trample on the freedoms of other people. So it turns out there is an approach that can be taken that allows for everyone to have equal 
rights within a society, and it's referred to as the non-aggression principle, the claim that no person or group of people have the right to initiate aggression against peaceful people, uh, or fraud as well. The reason fraud also Mm -hmm. uh, applies would be it violates the principle of consent. So we see this a lot. We see consent as the difference between uh, voluntary uh, intercourse and rape. We see it as the difference between you coming over to my house for dinner and you being a home invader, uh, us hanging out, and one of us kidnapping the other person. These So on the surface, in, in... uh, both of these, uh, in all of these scenarios, we're almost doing the same thing. The only difference is whether or not the participants are engaged in the action voluntarily, meaning they have the ability to opt out without anyone initiating force against them. So the non-aggression principle is a foundational And I think, just approach. to clarify for yeah. me, are you saying, so, like, um, as far as property is concerned, um, you know, money... Uh, physical property, things like that. Um, the reason it applies is because it's kind of an extension of our own body in a way. Uh, yes. So uh, th- that would be the, the immediate follow-up. So if we've s- sort of assigned who owns what with regard to bodies, realize this has been a major problem throughout history since slavery has existed since like the beginning of time and yeah. still in some places today. So first is the self-ownership principle. People own their own bodies with regard to others. They're the only ones who can feel it, experience it. They control it directly. Other people can only indirectly control their other people's bodies by first directly controlling theirs. So once we have the principle of self-ownership, we're, uh, we then want to determine uh, what are you justified in doing with this body of yours. And uh, there are two ways that uh, I would say people are justified in acquiring property. One is voluntary exchange, so getting it by from someone else without uh, initiating violence. So it might be a gift. It might be a trade. It might be a barter. It might be in exchange for a commodity, money. And the other would be original appropriation. So this means if no one has used anything in a certain area, then anyone who gets there first would have the best claim to it with regard to others. That would actually create a direct link and create a justified relationship between you, the person using it, and that property. And I would think that that would give you the right to exclude others from it. If it's not the first person to use it, uh, then that means the second person or someone after owns it. And if the first person can't you know, uh, conquer new land or mix their labor with virgin territory, that means quite literally no one can do anything because we would all need to get permission from other people who sit around right. and do nothing. So the innovators are just uh, at the behest of the, uh, the uh, of, of the parasites. So original appropriation, also known as homesteading, and voluntary exchange, I would say, are justified ways of acquiring property titles. An unjustified way would be initiating violence, threatening violence, or using fraud, which violates the principle that uh, two parties consent to a transaction. So um, we're, we're, we're coming to the end. I, I have a couple of maybe two more questions for you. First one, there's, there is a lot of variances um, of libertarianism, um, both from the right hand, from the right side of the political spectrum and the left side of the political spectrum, you know, uh, different forms of anarchy, different forms of, you know, so how would you, or would you classify yourself or, or, or how do you think of yourself? And, and maybe if we were to squeeze down all political spectrum down to the, the, the small, narrow libertarian size, what, where would you find yourself? Well, if I had to narrow myself down and isolate the most amount of people, I uh, well, uh, the thing that best describes me is uh, anarcho-capitalist. This okay. uh, a- anarchism, uh, the first part, means uh, no rulers without a ruler. No person has the right to rule another. And by capitalism, I am referring to a social system based on the explicit recognition of private property and non-aggressive contractual exchanges <laughs> between private property owners. So uh, that would be me as far as left and right. I would be considered a right libertarian because I uh, believe that uh, hierarchy is uh, totally legitimate, uh, mm-hmm. n- not only as a uh, form of you know w- what people choose to do with 
their lives. And if well, they want to reality, yeah, <laughs> it, it's almost just a reality. It, you and yeah. I want to um, do anything. We want to build a shed. Well, some people are better builders than others. So the second humans act, they have a goal in mind. Some people are better at achieving that goal than others. Boom, you have a hierarchy. There's right. nothing wrong with Adele having billions of listeners to listen to her sing and me having none and me having <laughs> a lot of people who listen to my political talks and my neighbor not have any because that's not his specialty. There's right. nothing wrong with division of labor, specialization, and uh, voluntarily associations uh, in a hierarchy. The best example is, you know, Noam Chomsky saying things are terribly unequal. Well, I, I went to see him at Arizona State. He's like, oh, yeah. the, there's so much inequality. The 1% has a disproportionate amount of whatever. And I said, well, think about the NBA. I mean, what percentage of attention does LeBron James get versus all the other players? He gets right. like 99%. Or, 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 or like, you know, five or six NBA stars get about 99% of the attention. And that's typical. In fact, Noam Chomsky spoke 99.9% of the time in a room of 20,000 people. That right. kind of sounds unequal, but there's nothing unjustified. I don't want to hear anyone talk except the guy who's been calling out the military industrial complex since uh, the Gulf of Tonkin. So there's nothing wrong with this at all. That's what makes me a right libertarian along with the idea of uh, opposition to positive rights, the uh, uh -huh. recognition that uh, uh, a right is an action that is morally justified so long as it does not initiate violence or fraud against a peaceful person. Uh, you don't have the right to health care, housing. You have the right to pursue those uh, voluntarily. That's what negative rights more or less are. Um, and then the third uh, reason I'd be a right libertarian is because of what's referred to as the constrained view in a book called uh, Conflict of Visions by Thomas Sowell. The idea that uh, human beings are constantly acting with many constraints in the world around them. And as opposed to there being a solution that people can embrace, all we're constantly doing is engaged in trade-offs. There are costs and benefits virtually to every uh, interaction and people acting in these ways have extremely limited knowledge that they have to embrace some humility and delegate very often to tradition or specialization in the division of labor in order to achieve their imperfect ends. So, mm. um, yeah, that's why I'd be an anarcho-capitalist right libertarian. Okay. Interesting. And, 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 uh, um, the, the, Again, the big picture I think is is helping people to understand that that wherever you find yourself on any political spectrum, like are you willing to listen to the arguments? Are you willing to to listen and and take it in and apply and test and you know? And you may disagree, but that's okay. Like that that's the to me that's the most beautiful part about free speech is we're allowed to to talk, disagree, um, and not have to get violent over these ideas where otherwise the only other option is violence, which, you know, is what, where we find ourselves too often. Exactly. Um, well, one last question for you, Keith. And again, thank you so much for your time. I, I do appreciate it. It's been a lot of fun for me. What, um, any projects that, 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 um, you want to pitch, uh, share with us, anything you're working on or what's the best way for, for people to get a hold of you? You know, I, I'm working on a, a lot of things right now. So, so often, uh, so, so often projects I, I don't go through with. I end up, you know, splitting up into multiple different ones just to, you know, uh, increase the uh, d number of people who would be willing to click or uh, be intrigued by something. Or sure. uh, I'd find a different approach of doing the same thing, more or less. So, uh, th there's nothing specific. If people could uh, subscribe to me on Minds.com and Odyssey, that would really soften the blow of, uh, you know, getting canned from Twitter. I got another YouTube strike the other day, so sort of walking on eggshells there. Of course, I appreciate if people subscribe to me anywhere, but that just gives me a little long-term satisfaction that uh, at least some people will uh, be watching once uh, once the inevitable happens. Well, I, I, I'll I be listening to you for sure. I appreciate your time, and, and, and thanks again for being on And If Love Remains, Keith. I, I hope people will, will go and subscribe to your channel, take in those ideas, and, and, and listen to with, with open eyes and open hearts, because I think they're, um, you know, I think, I think that uh, um, we're living in a world that 
more people are more open to the ideas of liberty, and I think that's a good thing. I hope so, Mike. Thank you for having me on. My pleasure. This is Mike Levitt, and you've been listening to And If Love Remains. Peace.